You are listening to the podcast for Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is a Christian community of faith located right in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. This week and over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be starting a new series called Hope 2016 as we move towards the election for the year 2016. We are going to be looking at what a Christian response might be. What does it really look like to follow Jesus, to put our hope solely in Jesus in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of uh, the world and the the country that we live in, in the the way that it is right now. So we look uh, forward to these next couple of weeks. We hope that you will join us, that you will listen intently, and that you will be impacted and challenged, encouraged along the way. Thanks for checking it out. Today we're going to be starting with the story of kingdoms. Hope you enjoy. Uh, there's a, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a poet who penned these words uh, thousands of years ago. And this is, this is what he writes. What was will be again. What happened will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it is the same old thing. Isn't that amazing (laughs) and depressing? (laughs) What a great way to start. And with that, I would say to you, welcome to election 2016, right? Because that's kind of what it feels like. I've been thinking for the last number of weeks, and I've, I've been talking to a bunch of friends, and uh, who, are, who are pastoring churches, and I've just been, you know, how, how can we talk about uh, the things that are taking place uh, in, in the country right now with, with Clinton versus Trump, and how can, how can we kind of navigate these, these, these things effectively as the church of, of Christ? And, and I can't help but watch these, these, these uh, debates and, and all the things that are going on, and I can't help but think, didn't we just do this? <clears throat> four years ago and four years before that and four years before that because a lot of the conversations that I have with people they're the same conversations we're like you know there are 314 million people that live in America and somehow we boiled it down to these two people and it's kind of mind-boggling I mean it's kind of like wow but we but but it doesn't matter who the two people are we say that every election season about whichever two people it is and here's how it works. Fox News, CNN, NPR, Huffington Post, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, CBS, ABC, NBC. There's not a place that you can turn, especially right now, that you're not face-to-face with the election. And so here, here are a couple things that, that I want to do over the next couple of weeks. First off, I think it's very important to realize this as, as a community of faith, that some people in this room are going to vote for Donald Trump. And some people in this room are going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And some people in this room are going to cast their vote for Gary Johnson. And some people in this room are still really, really bumming that Bernie is no longer in the race uh, or that uh, Rubio is no longer in the race. Uh, But the interesting thing about all these comments is that just now when I said some people in the room are going to vote for Donald Trump, other people in the room went, what? How 
And then I said, and some people in the room are going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And a whole other group of people went, are you kidding me? Like, how in the world could anyone do that? You, you see how that works? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? But that's how it works. It, and and it's, this, it's, just, it's this, this line right down the middle. And so I thought for the next four weeks, we're, we're going to walk through and hopefully, I feel like, well, here, here let, me, let me put it to you this way instead. I will not, over the next four weeks, tell you who to vote for, for two reasons. Number one, that's not my job. That's just, I, that's not what I do. Uh, number two, even if I was going to tell you, I don't know who to tell you to vote for. I, I, I just, I don't even know. So I'm, I'm just kind of in this place of being like, wow, there we have it. Here are some things that I will promise you, though. And I want to, I don't think I've even said this to us as a church in quite some time, but here are four things that Christy and I, as we were, as we were moving towards planting the church, here are four things that we really came up with that, that we want and that we have committed to you as a community of faith. Number one, we do promise that we will seek the Holy Spirit uh, for you and with you and that we will journey with you as a community of faith, not as those who are above, but those who are journeying together. Because I feel like I'm just as much on the journey in my faith walk as anyone else. So there's not this, there's not this thing going on. But I promise to seek the Holy Spirit and to, to journey with you, and Christy does. Uh, we promise, Christy and I promise, that we will always love you. We do not promise to always like you. Okay? Because, and, and, and nor do we think that you will always like us. Uh, but I think that love covers over a multitude of transgressions. And so we promise that we will continue to press into love. Uh, we promise to challenge you. Uh, and we promise to receive challenge from you. And we promise to disappoint you. And I think this is incredibly important. Now, we promise you that we will disappoint you. So, uh, you know, you want to be a part of Mid-City uh, Vineyard, and you believe that this is where the Spirit of God is moving you and calling you to, to, to be a part of the community? I'm so excited about that. And I promise you that along the way, we will do things and we will say things that will upset you. And I'm, I'm happy about that, because that means that along the way, you're going to have opportunities to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what does it actually look like to stay connected to a community of faith in the midst of difficult times? I think that's wonderful. Because we live in a society where people just don't do that. But we're the society and the, the, the alternative society and the community of faith that God's called us to be a part of. So those are our promises. And uh, I won't, you know, when it comes to all those things, here's how it looks. I think over the next couple of weeks, promise number three of challenging you it's going to come into play greatly. Because I think I'm going to say some things that will, will, will deeply challenge you. I think I will say a couple of things that will actually make some of you very, very angry. Um, but it's not, it's not me. It's, it's just stuff Jesus said. That's the funny thing. I'm just, I'm just quoting him. Okay, so get mad at him. That's, that's, how, that, that's how that works. Over these next couple of weeks, so I think the challenge uh, is, is not to tell you and the challenge that I have, it, it, I'm not telling you what to believe. What I want to do is I want to challenge you to look for ways that the Spirit of God might be moving and directing you and how you might further cooperate with the Spirit of God. Um, I think God has an opinion on this election. I do not think God has a candidate 
in this election. And that, that alone might make some of you angry. Uh, but I just, I just, I, I cannot find any scriptural basis for God ha actually having a candidate. But I do, I do find lots of scriptural things and lots of leadings of the Spirit that can help us think through you know, how to navigate this. And so what I'm calling this series for the next four weeks is Hope 2016. Because ultimately, here's, here's the deal. Our hope does not lie in Donald Trump. It does not lie in Hillary Clinton. It does not lie in this government of the United States of America. It just doesn't. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ. And I think over these next couple of weeks, we might even begin to untangle certain things where we see that maybe we were putting hope in some other avenues along the way. So what, what does that look like? And so that's what, that's what we'll do here. So here's how we're going to start. Uh, we're going to start with what I'm calling the story of kingdoms. Because the, the question really is, how did we find ourselves here in this place in good old America 2016? You know, trying to figure out how to, I mean, here's, here's what America is trying. Here's what America is trying to figure out right now. How can we continue to rule the world? That's what America is trying to figure out. How can America continue to rule the world? Which is an interesting thing if you think about it, because as Christians, Jesus never called us or invited us as Christians to rule the world in that way. And so this is, this is how we're going to unpack certain things. So tonight, we're going to look at the story of kingdoms. How did we get to this place? Next week, we're going to look at the story of kings, leaders, so to speak, and how, how we've gotten here. The week after that, we're going to look at the story of us, the story of us as an alternative society, as the people of Jesus Christ. And then the following week, we're going to, kind of, we're going to try to work through a, a pathway forward. Uh, Boom, boom. Then the week of the election, we don't actually have uh, a gathering, a worship gathering. We're going to have a picnic instead. And then we're actually looking to, I'm, look, I'm, I'm working with some friends on this, but we're looking at potentially having uh, on Tuesday night, November, it's, I think it's the 8th, right? November 8th, 2000. Yeah, November, Tuesday. Boom. How do you do it, Micah? Tuesday. Yes, thank you. November the 8th. We're actually looking at maybe doing a, having a communion night. Uh, together on election night, uh, at, at maybe at our house or something like that, just to share communion together and uh, not, maybe not even watch the results for quite some time, since our hope's not there. So, <laughs> so there we go. Okay, now you can already see why we're going to have conversation evenings after each of these next couple of weeks. Because you know what, I am going to say some things, and some of I, I encourage you to write down your questions. Uh, not because I have answers, but someone else in the group might have answers for you when we get to our house. Like Landon. Landon might have some answers, right, Landon? No? Okay. So let's go. Um, here's, here's how this works. Tonight, we're going to work through the entire Bible. I, I've, I've crafted this whole teaching down. It's only going to take three and a half hours. So I've got it. I'm ready. Here we go. Since the beginning, in the beginning, since Genesis, here's, here's, here's something that we need to understand. God's plans and purposes for creation have always been that creation would live in God. And that creation, human beings, and all of creation would participate in the life of God. Now I want you to, to understand this is, in a nutshell, the gospel. The good news is that there is a beautiful, amazing, wonderful, merciful, gracious creator. God, Father, 
Jesus Christ's Son, Holy Spirit, and these, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they, they, they exist in one another, as, and as uh, many scholars have called it, in this, in this divine dance where Father, Son, and Spirit are interconnected with one another. And what happens is that we have been created, human beings, to actually participate in this relationship and in this relational God. From the very beginning of time, God's desire, and this is so important because you don't hear this enough, in my opinion, in the church, the larger church. From the very beginning, God's desire is that human beings would flourish in life. Now, when I say flourish, I don't mean that they'd have all the money in the world and, and all the riches and all the, all, everything that they, but that human beings would actually flourish, that there would, there would be a, a genuine, deep, rich sense of belonging. A genuine deep sense of peace and of connection to one another, to creation, and to God. I mean, that's a, honestly, that's really, really good news. It's very different than the good news that, that I often heard growing, growing up as the good news is that, you know, you're really in bad shape and you're probably going to go to hell, so you need to ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins so you don't go to hell, and then, you know, you can go to heaven and, woo, it's good news. That is scary news to me. Good news is that you were created by God to be in a loving, connected, beautiful relationship, uh, to enjoy life, to, to experience life, to experience God. John 10, 10, uh, and don't, don't, don't get excited that we're almost done jumping to John. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis in a second. But in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Now, when Jesus stands before you, uh, let's say that you're there 2,000 years ago, and Jamie, Jesus says to you, I've come that you would have life and have it to the fullest. I mean, does that, does that kind of sound like a here and now present kind of reality? Like, hey, Jamie, hey, I'm here. And the reason I'm here is so that you can actually have life and have it to the fullest. Oh, you mean when I die and I go off to heaven? And Jesus would say, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, that's, that'll be part of it, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I've come so that you might have life now. That you might experience connectedness to God. That you might experience connectedness to other people. That you might experience connectedness to creation. That you might flourish. That you might have shalom is the Hebrew word. Wholeness and peace and, 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 and connection. I mean, it's just it's this all-encompassing, beautiful kind of thing. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. So in the beginning, God creates. He creates. He creates creation. He creates human beings. There's a story in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, you know, here at Mid-City Vineyard, go either way. You can take this as a actual, literal, this story absolutely happened, and, and Adam and Eve, these were very real people. Or you can take it as a narrative, a story, a storyline that the Hebrews used to kind of understand how God operated in the world and how God connected with human beings. You can go either way, and guess what? You can still be a Christian, okay? So, like, that's fair. That's really, really fair. And so... However you want to see this, however you, 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 you sense leading in, in reading this, and a lot of that has to do with how you were taught, which is fine, because some of you were taught one way, some of you another way, and some of you are just hearing that for the first time. So, But what we see is that in Adam and Eve, these, these human creatures, 
we see that God is saying, I've, I've created humanity and I've created humanity in my image and human beings, it's good and it's beautiful. And I want you human beings to flourish. I want you to experience all that life is to the nth degree. I want you to be present to one another, to creation, be present to me. Enjoy this life, flourish. And look, I've placed my image in you. Reflect my beauty, reflect my glory. I, I want, I want when, 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 when people look at you, and this is really what happens is Adam and Eve, you are set apart. You're set apart in such a way that when, when all of creation looks at you, they see that you're experiencing this type of life, connected, connected to me and to one another. There's harmony. There's shalom. There's peace. There's beauty. There's richness. This is what I have for you. Be set apart. You know, there's passages all through the Old Testament and the New Testament where God says to his people, whoever his people are at that time, he says, be holy for I, your God, for I, the Lord, am holy. And we've taken this to, to be this, this, this moral, you know, don't lie and don't do anything that's bad because God doesn't do those things. But that word holy there actually means set apart. Be set apart. Be, be different. As I am different. Be different from what? Be different from what, <laughs> what, the, what the systems and what the world is looking like. Be different. Be set apart. So that when people look at you, Jamie, when people here now on, in, on this planet, when they look at you, they see something that's different. And it's not this manufactured thing. It's not like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be different this way, this way, this way. No, it's more like, how do I align my life? That's what, that's what we're really looking at. In Genesis chapter 3, see, this is going to take us forever. We're only on Genesis 3. Sorry, Micah. Did you just yawn? Was that Micah? That was mine. <laughs> look, Micah, Nate, Jonah, any other kids in the room? <coughs> okay, look. This, I'm, I'm going through the entire scripture right here. And I'm like, this is super cliff note version. So pay attention to this, okay? This is, this is good. Genesis chapter 3, here's what humanity does. Humanity steps out of this connected relationship. Humanity moves out of this place of flourishing. They move out of this place of shalom. They move out of this place of interconnectedness. You see, what happens is humanity makes some decisions where they decide that, you know, this whole peace thing and, and, and the way it seems to be set up, maybe there's, there's a, a different way. Maybe there's a, a, a more fun way. Maybe there's a, a there's a way where we don't have to submit to anything or anyone, but we can just be our own, our own little gods of sorts. But God understands that that kind, of messes, that kind of messes with the way that God created the thing. Basically, here's what human beings were doing. There's this amazing dance that's taking place, and humanity has been brought into this dance. And this is happening, and this is going on, and human beings decided to step out of that. And when human beings step out of that, there is another reality that they step into. In this other reality, you see, there's, it's, it's, it's as though it's a whole other type of system, so to speak. You see, over here, when you're in this dance, everything about this dance with God is characterized by patience and kindness and forgiveness and mercy and grace and beauty, uh, gentleness and self-control and generosity. I mean, it's just like, it's just like uh, connectedness. Oh, yes! And humanity steps out of that over to here, and the reality over here is that it, it's not the same as this reality over here. See, we would call this reality 
the kingdom of God, the way of God, the, 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 the way in which God desires and intends things to be. That's what's happening over here. And then there's this whole other reality. And for the purpose of the, the next couple of weeks and maybe the rest of our lives, we're going to call this reality the kingdom of the world. Because these are two contrasting kingdoms. And over here, you know, you see immediately after the, these, uh, after the, the human being stepped out of this thing with God, it's like all of a sudden what, what enters into the picture? There's, there's shame and there's greed and there's pride and there's envy. It turns out soon enough that there's violence and that there's murder when Cain goes off and kills Abel. And why does he kill Abel? Because he's prideful and because there's greed and because there's envy and all these. I mean, it's just like it's like this whole it's like a train wreck. And it, it, it's the kind of thing that God says, no, 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 I didn't create you for the, for the train wreck. I created you for the dance. Train wreck, dance. Train wreck, dance. And, and God's whole mission, I mean, just look through the Bible. Just, God's whole mission is to get human, humanity to move away from the train wreck and back into the dance. That's what God is doing. Like, that's good news. That's amazing news, really. So here's what God does. He... he he chooses once again, and he sets apart another people. Now, I'm going to go fairly quickly here. But again, uh, if you want to, you could just read Genesis through Malachi, uh, and, and, and you'll, pick up, you'll pick up the major points here. But basically, God moves in Genesis 12, and he says to Abraham, Abraham's this guy that lives out in this desert somewhere, and, and you've got to keep this in mind. Abraham at this time was a... Uh, he was... Um, he worshipped multiple gods. I mean, this was a guy who just was kind of like, you got this god over here, and 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 he's worshipping all these gods. And then all of a sudden, this, this particular god, Yahweh, connects with Abraham in this fascinating way, and he just speaks to him, and, and, and Abraham says, yeah, uh, I'll follow you, and I'll, I'll do the things. And that's why Paul says that it was discredited to Abraham. I mean, it, it's righteousness. His faith was just like, bam. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll follow this God. And this God says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And this nation that I'm going to make you into is going to be a nation that is, I'm going to set them apart. And they are going to look, I want them to look like me. So that when the rest of the world looks at them, they see in the image of me. And so what happens? The, the, it's the Hebrew people. They grow in number. Because, let's see here, where um, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons, the youngest of which was, jo or the second uh, youngest was Joseph. Joseph eventually leads the people into Israel because, or I'm sorry, into Egypt because there was famine. So these people moved to Egypt. They end up camping out there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And the Egyptians make them into slaves. The Egyptians enslave them. They subject them to their kingdom rules, the Egyptian kingdom's rules and regulations. And eventually, these Hebrew people, they cry out, and God says, okay, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to move you to a place, and you're going to be my people. And here's what it looks like. There's this guy, Moses. He's going to lead you out. And Moses, I'm going to give him some guidelines. And he's going to give the guidelines to you, and these guidelines I want you to follow. Because these guidelines are what are going to set you apart from all the other people and all of the other kingdoms. And these guidelines are things like this. 
don't have other gods. Well, why would he say that? Well, because all of the other nations had lots of gods. And so the idea is, hey, when other nations look at Israel, they would say, hey, those people only have one God. That's weird. And then he said things like, don't murder and don't steal and don't commit adultery. Why would he say those kinds of things? Because that's what everybody was doing. First off, it's because everybody, that's what everybody's doing. The second reason is because those things are part of the train wreck. And God is saying, I don't want you to be part of the train wreck. I want you to be part of the dance. And the dance is filled with peace and wholeness and connectedness. They're, like where the dance is happening, there's not, we, don't, we don't practice violence on each other. We practice self-sacrificial love. Where the dance is happening, we don't envy one another. We prefer one another. Like, that's what we do in the dance. And how do we know that? Because we see how Father, Son, and Spirit do not envy one another, but operate and connect and dance. And it's, you see this? And so come out of the train wreck. Leave the train wreck. Leave the train wreck behind and come into the dance. That's what's happening here. God says, I'm going to be your king. I'm God will be your king. I will be your leader. You won't be like the other nations. All the other nations have kings, but you don't need a king because you have me, the living God. Okay, the long and short of it is Israel just does this. They're like, oh my gosh, we, like, we're, we're so not good at reflecting the image and beauty and glory of God, and we don't flourish very well. We're not experiencing much shalom. We just we love killing people. Uh, seems to be a problem we have. Uh, we 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 like to you know sleep with a lot of the wrong people. We just do all kinds of stuff. Uh, and here's the deal, God. We actually want to be like the other nations. That's what happens in First Samuel. God, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king, but I don't want you to be like the other nations. No, 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 no. We we want to. And so God, what does God do? Oh man, this is what God does. You know, so He says, okay. Like, I don't want you to have another king because I'm your king. I don't want you to be like the other nations, but if that's what you want, okay. And so Israel gets a king, uh, and you can read about that in First and Second Samuel. And then, good king, bad king, bad king, bad, 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 bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, every now and then. Not many good kings. Why aren't there very many good kings? People. <laughs> They're people. And you know what? Kings, like the rest of us, they like power. Right? I mean, and so it's just, it's this ongoing, it's, it's like this insatiable hunger. Just moving and moving and moving and needing and needing and needing more and more and more. Okay. Fast forward up into the book of Kings. This, this nation of Israel, they split into two. You got, now you have two these two kind of nations. You've got Israel and you've got Judah. And you know what? God says, listen, you guys keep doing all these. You guys are like totally going. You're totally living the train wreck. And if you keep living the train wreck, it's only going to get worse. Not because I'm making it worse for you, but because it's just, it's a bad deal. Eventually, both of these nations get carried off once again into captivity. Now check this out. Judah gets carried off into Babylon in 580 BC. Now, remember, we got train wreck, kingdom of the world, dance, kingdom of God, Babylon, is part of the train wreck. Judah, let me, let me, let me read these, these names to you real quick and see if you recognize these guys. All right, check this out. Does anybody recognize these names here? Uh, da, 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 da. Belshazzar, Hananiah, 
Mishael and Azariah. I mean, those are just random names. You might recognize them. How about these names? Do you recognize the names Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay, you recognize those names. If you, if you, if you grew up singing uh, churchy children's songs, probably. Um, so here's what happens. There are a couple of men who were men of, they were men of God. They worshipped the one living God. Their names their names were uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That, those were their names. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon takes Judah, takes him into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar has his own kingdom. He has his own wants. He has his own desires. So look at what he does. He takes these, these young boys and he brings them into his kingdom. He brings them into his palace. And it says that the king ordered the chief of his court to bring into the service of the king these Israelite boys, these young men. Without any physical defect, they were handsome. They showed uh, aptitude of every kind in learning. And they were well informed. They were quick to understand. They qualified to serve in the king's palace. And so he had the chief priests teach them the language of Babylon, the literature of Babylon, the history of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years in the ways of the king of Babylon so that after that they could serve the king. Now isn't it interesting that the king of Babylon brings in these people who are part of this dance, part of the thing that God is doing. God, for Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I mean, God is the one that they worship. And he brings them in. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change your name. You're not going to be Daniel anymore. You're going to be Belshazzar. You're not going to be Azariah anymore. You're going to be Abednego. We're going to change your name. We're going to teach you the language of the kingdom. We're going to teach you the literature of the kingdom. We're going to teach you the history of the kingdom so that you can be good Babylonian citizens. That's what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. And he's doing everything that he can to move them away from the worship of their God to bring them into his own needs and desires. He's going to place them where he needs them to be. He's going to assimilate them into the ways of his empire. That's, that's what he's doing. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that this happens over and over and over again. That forever people, because empires all, empires rise and empires fall. But when empires rise and they conquer other people, they assimilate people into their way of thinking. Do you realize, do you realize that the history books are different in America than they are in some of these other countries, Cuba, for instance, uh, uh, Germany, you know, when it comes to even understanding how, how wars have played out? <laughs> you realize that, like, in Germany, the, the, you can do some research on this, but, like, the history books are, are much more favorable towards how things went for the Germans in World War II. Why? Because, because if you're going to be a good German citizen, you, you, they want to raise up and make, make you a richer part or part of their kingdom, their culture, however that, that 
This thing has been going on and on and on forever. Now, here's what happens. At the end of the Old Testament, we hit some, some 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. And we're, we're about to wrap this up, but here's how it looks. In that 400-year period, 400 B.C. to the time of Christ, Alexander the Great comes to power. Alexander the Great begins to Hellenize the entire known world, meaning that, I mean, he was a Greek, and so he just goes around. And you know what Alexander the Great does? He begins to conquer the world. And when he conquers a nation state, when he conquers a people, do you know what language he teaches them? Greek. That's why so much, so much of the, the, the uh, language in the Greco-Roman world was Greek, because Alexander the Great had such a huge influence of conquering people and assimilating them into the culture. And then it came to be around, uh, it was probably 63 BC, I believe it was, where the Romans came to power, the, where, where the Romans came, and the Romans actually ruled the world for about 500 years, give or take. And the Romans came to power. They placed... Herod in charge in this area of Palestine in the Middle East. And at that time, that's the time that Jesus finally comes to be born. And when Jesus comes to be born, understand that Jesus was born into a time when the Jewish people, these who had been set apart to reflect God, were being crushed and dominated by the Romans. The Romans were the empire of the day. They ruled the whole world. They ruled with an iron fist. They said that they were bringing peace to the whole world, but you know how they were doing it? They were doing it through the sword. They were walking around, and they were saying, side with us or we'll just kill you. And they ended up killing most, most everybody. And then they'd set up these little towns, and they'd put like a, a local leader in charge. But that local leader was a puppet. They, that local leader, Herod, would serve the Roman government, that's why the people, even though he was a Jew, the people hated Herod because he was a Roman puppet. And Jesus comes to the planet. He comes to the, and he starts saying things like this. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Bless you. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. What does this mean? John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Repent. You're living in the train wreck. You're living in the train wreck. You are a captive. You are a slave. You're a slave to the system. You're a slave to the, to the system of greed. You're a slave to the system of pride. You're a slave to the system of violence. You're a slave to the system of immorality. You're a slave to the system. This, whatever this, this economic system is, that, that you're a slave to it. You're a slave to the need for power. You're a slave. Repent. Leave the train wreck and come get in on the dance. Come get in on this. Come get in on this. And this is how we get to here tonight because this is where the church is born. The church is born as a society within a society that finally starts to say, we're going to follow Jesus instead. You see, this, this claim, Jesus is Lord, it's a big deal in the New Testament because what everyone there in that time was proclaiming is Caesar is Lord. That was the mantra. That's what, that's, 
Caesar is Lord. So whenever someone would come, a Roman Caesar is Lord. And then a, a person who started following Jesus said, uh, Jesus is Lord. They were literally putting their life on the line. They were saying, I'm not bowing down to Caesar. I'm not fighting Caesar's fights for Caesar. I'm not lining up with Caesar. I'm lining up with God. And I will be a good citizen to the point that I can without going against God, Jesus, as my Lord. These people live self-sacrificial lives. And here's the thing. This is so important. And this is how it plays in. But the Jews and the Christians in that early church, they did not try to reform Rome. They did not try to create a better version of Rome. They started living in a whole different world, so to speak. A whole different reality. It's, it's fascinating. Now, I told you, I'm, I don't... I, I can't tell you who to vote for, I, but I can take a slogan. It's interesting that Jesus didn't come saying, let's make Israel great again. Like, that wasn't his banner. Like, let's make Israel great again. No, his banner was, the kingdom is here. Like, there's a dance happening, and you can get in on it. And you know what? The dance is for everybody. The dance is for all of creation. The dance is for Americans and the dance is for Chinese and the black uh, the dance is for black people and dance is for white people the dance people is the dance is for Germans the dance is for Iraqis the dance is for Afghanis the dance is for everyone who wants in on the dance that's who the dance is for and he says so now church be set apart church be set apart Get in on the dance. Last thing. Here's how it happened. In the year 312 AD, in Rome, Constantine was the emperor. Constantine was going to a great battle, and he had a vision. And somehow in this vision, he saw a cross, a vision of a cross. And he sensed God say to him, in this you will conquer. And so Constantine went and had crosses painted on all the shields of the Roman guards, and they went off to war. And they actually won that battle. And that was the beginning of state religion. Because less than 100 years later, Theosidus in 405 made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And now, 400 years, 400 years Christians had been around. And for 400 years, Christians had been characterized by feet washing. They had been characterized by towels. They had been characterized by a king who rode on a donkey. They had been characterized by love. And they had been characterized by self-sacrificial love. They had been characterized by not bowing down to Caesar. And they had reached so much of the world for Christ. And now they were married to the empire. And you know what? They put down their towels. Christians did this. They put down their towels. They put away their donkeys. They got bigger horses. They put away their love and their peace and they picked up bigger swords. 
and they started to march on the world. And that, this is where the Crusades come from. And they actually, Christians, become a Christian, profess Jesus as your Lord, or die. It took less than, well, it took less than 500 years for Christians to move away from the model of our Christ when we married the two together. There's only one kingdom of God. There's only one kingdom of God. It's not the United States government. It's not Great Britain's government. It's not France's government. It's not Spain's government. It's not China's government. It's not Japan's government. There's only one kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom that you and I, as the church, have been invited to be a part of in the dance. Our hope is here. Now, this other stuff happens. And we're, we're part of it. But our hope is here. How does it look now to, to live our lives out here? Because of that, it doesn't bum me out at all that public schools in America do not allow prayer. Uh, that, that does not, uh, who cares? Because our hope is not in that. That public school prayer has nothing to do with how I live my life out for Christ. It just doesn't. Matter of fact, I, I think it's, I, I think it's, I, I think you should hear me say it. I think it's better for Christians living in a society where that's not allowed because it makes our, because we're not a state religion. We are a set-apart people. We are a set-apart people. It's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful so over the next couple of weeks, this is, this is going to be our, our movements. We're going to talk about kings, and we're going to talk about living together in the, in the midst of, of this. And, and here's what we're going to do now, this evening. We have just a few minutes left here. But we're going to share communion together, because here's, here's the beauty of it. On this table, if this is your first time with us, on this table, you'll notice all kinds of things are written here. And, and what I love about this table is this table represents who we are as the community of faith. And as the community of faith, we are Republican, and we are conservative, and Democrat. Liberal. Oh, there's, we have uh, different nationalities, Cuban and American. Uh, we have people who are struggling with different things, depression, uh, pornography. We have different ages, 32 years old, 65 years old. <laughs> like, how amazing is the kingdom of God and the body of Jesus Christ? Because you know what? We bring all those things to the table and we write it down and we say those things do not define who we are. Jesus Christ defines who we are. The kingdom of God defines who we are. That is who we are first and foremost. And so all that other stuff, we're going to figure out how to live and, and, and move and ebb and flow with one another as we participate in this beautiful, amazing dance that God, Father, Son, and Spirit are inviting us into. And so that's how we break bread together. That's how we share wine together. That's, 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 that's what we are doing here at the table. So we're able to leave those things and say, hey, those are just, those are, those are things, but this is who I am. So I invite you to, to stand. Let's, let's stand for the.